In this world, there's plenty of information. A great amount of knowledge is available to us. However, it's hard to find the keys to make that knowledge work for us. Even if it does work, many people don't understand the mechanism behind this. Time has accelerated. Our practice helps us learn to perceive everything equally. This equality enables us to connect the two poles, spirituality and materiality. You may hear people say that what they've been doing doesn't fit in with their life anymore. They need something different. When our mind has cognized one thing, it casts it away and goes after something else. This illustrates our constant attempts to get something better. And the better is the enemy of the good. It's the problem of the mind. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Master. You can just call me Imram. Imram, I'm happy that you agreed to come again. I agreed again. I have dragged you into this hassle again. Friends, thank you very much for finding the time to come here. Thank you. Personal meetings are very valuable for each of us. We can feel each other. So much is changing, so much is going on now. I appreciate and respect time and this opportunity for sharing ideas and reflecting on them. My advice for those who have joined us online is to look within yourself during our conversation and take notice of what triggers your feelings and pulls at your heartstrings. This will help you learn about yourself. I'll do my best to make this discussion go smoothly. At the end, you will have a chance to ask any questions with respect to the space and master. Master doesn't need respect. Any questions are welcome, but respect for this space is crucial. Let's get started. When I was planning this discussion, thinking about what important topics might be interesting to every one of us, I thought about time. We all realize that time runs very fast now, it's changing tremendously, as well as our material world and spiritual world at every level. All of us feel these changes. Maybe not everyone can clearly shape it into words. What should we do? How can we retain the state we are in, and what's the right way to vibrate with these new vibrations? In this world, there's plenty of information. A great amount of knowledge is available to us. However, it's hard to find the keys to make that knowledge work for us. Even if it does work, many people don't understand the mechanism behind this. Time has accelerated. We have 12 to 13 hours in a day instead of 24. Once I told you that I asked Bhagavan Shri Satya Sai Baba, the avatar of all Russia and the world, I'm joking, for 36 hours in a day because I couldn't keep up. I think it was back in 2006. I had practices to do, I had to understand and learn. I had to keep up with the world, work, support the family, and much more. There were also creative activities to do, so 24 hours was not enough. I noticed that time was speeding up. Now we have 13 hours on average, maybe even 12. What can we do about it? I'd like to repeat that there's plenty of knowledge, plenty of information, many distractions. But there are no keys to this knowledge, no keys to realization. I'm going to tell you something. 
try to understand the true meaning of this. The keys are not a mere formula like 1 plus 1 equals 2 or what have you. By the way, it's good to know that 1 plus 1 doesn't equal 2. It's vital for us to gain an understanding. Time plays a crucial role in our life, and this is a huge limiting factor. The so-called Mahakala. In Sanskrit, Maha means great and Kala stands for time. In 2007, when I attended Mahakala Chakra, held by Dalai Lama XIV, it was the last Maha, which means great, Kala Chakra on Earth. It's an opportunity to gain power over time. It was then that he shared keys and understanding. Over the years, through meditation and practice, I have come to realize that there is a possibility of controlling time. I'll use some examples to make it clear that this is not a fantasy. It is possible to control time right here and now. Those who attended seminars and retreats know that our class lasts for about two and a half to three hours. Sometimes these three hours run as fast as 40 minutes, and sometimes 40 minutes run as slow as three hours. Thus, I help people realize that it is possible to stretch and compress time right in this quantum field of our being, here. But learning to control or befriend time requires an understanding of how it all works. Respect is the most important thing. Being respectful of time is very important in today's world. Those who feel deep inner aggression against this world, what is it? Deep inner aggression is not explicit aggression whereby you, you go around and argue with everyone. No, deep inner aggression is hard to detect. It is fear of the future. It is fear of the present. It is your aversion to the past. We are all running from the past. We want to become better. Note, however, that children are not aggressive whatsoever. Why? Because they are closer to the here and now state. Sometimes they do cry, sometimes they are moody, but that doesn't interfere with their way of existence. What's important here is, for children, one year of life equals 30 to 40 years of experience, because they live very intensely. We are also children. It doesn't matter whether you are one year old, or 25 to 30 years old, or 60 to 70 years old. All of you are children. Because in the face of the universe, all of us are very, very young. Here is what is important to understand, the most important things. The first is respect. We must realize that time is a being. It is a supreme being that helps us tremendously now. It feels like we are getting old, time is running out. We are missing out on something because our mind is relentlessly striving outwards. Over and over again, it looks for ways to distract itself from where we are, from what we currently possess. If we are negative about the past, we feel that time speeds up. If we feel aggression against the world we live in, it will speed up too. If you want to slow down temporal processes, including aging, which is directly related to them, learn to love what you have and rid yourself of any sign of aggression. 
You need to meditate to achieve that. To rid ourselves of aggression and start meditating, we must realize that we don't have to fight against this space. We make constant attempts to fight against the space, even in simple things. For example, we urgently turn on an air conditioner if it's hot outside. Why? It's hot. I don't like being hot. I don't like being cold either. I don't like to sit like this because I'm used to sitting like that. This is an ongoing fight. We keep fighting for comfortable existence and fail to accept what we have. When a person is calm in this respect, when they cherish what is happening to them, time starts working to their benefit. You practice yoga. What motivates you? Keeping yourself young and beautiful, especially girls. It's not the correct attitude towards yoga. Time will keep accelerating. If you practice yoga in order to realize who you really are, time will start working for you. It will provide opportunities. When you trade health for health, when you want to improve what you already are, to make nature even more beautiful, to better express yourself, it means you are not accepting what you are now. Non-acceptance accelerates time. These are very important aspects. So let's love what we have, let's love who we are today. Focus on your past and thank it, even if there were many negative moments back then, injustice, resentment, separation or other painful events. Realizing that everything in your current life, including yourself, has been shaped by what happened, we must learn to love it and accept it. We can even learn to love a fragment. Imagine that right now a comet of your being will rush into your present from your past. It enters your reality and events of the past happen again. It's like falling into the same trap twice, as the saying goes. Often. Will you find a way to love this trap? Wow, it felt so great to be ensnared again. This is what you must learn to do. It doesn't mean that you should intentionally fall into that trap, but you should learn not to show your discontent if it happens. And accepting everything equally indicates our confidence in the Creator. When we are confident, when we trust Him, He sees that we are open and creates favorable conditions for us. That's what He does. But it takes special conditions to achieve what you want. When he sees you being open to the world, your life becomes very full in terms of the here and now. The future and the past are nothing but an illusion, an illusion that is recorded in our mind. It's time. Once your past and future merge into the present, time disappears. As soon as you enter the here and now state during meditation, time disappears. It means that aging processes slow down, your body becomes younger, you reassess your values, and at this point, time has no impact on you. This is why people who remain in the state of Samadhi don't die. Mahakala, Lord of Time, or Yamaraj, God of Death, cannot take them. That's because they are invisible from a judgmental and perceptive point of view. Am I talking too much? You are talking perfectly. I regret that I haven't been taking notes. By the way, you can take notes. Many feelings arise within. Recently, I read about an experiment that was carried out in Japan in the 1950s. 
It proves the hundredth monkey phenomenon. It concerns the collective field. A group of monkeys belonging to the same subspecies were kept on an island and fed on sweet potatoes. They liked them very much. The sweet potatoes were dirty and young monkeys started to teach their parents to wash them. The experiment lasted for 30 years. And when more than 100 monkeys learnt to wash sweet potatoes, monkeys of this subspecies on other isolated islands began to wash them too. All living beings are part of a collective field, and it is believed, correct me if I'm wrong, that if a certain amount of people meditate more or vibrate at certain frequencies, the collective field of our planet Earth will recover too. Is there a minimum amount of time one should meditate or remain in some other state? Or is it very individual? First of all, let me express my profound gratitude to all the monkeys, thanks to which we have learned that meditation is beneficial. This is a good illustrative example. The hundredth monkey must be an enlightened master. At the beginning, of course, it takes certain efforts to remain in a meditative state. Many people think that meditation is about sitting like that with a broad smile on their faces. You can do it like that if you want. Maybe it will inspire you. I never did it like that. Meditation is a process of self-discovery. It can be done wherever you are. I'll explain it briefly now. It might break this ashram's traditions. No, I have never had an ashram. By the way, I have never had my own place for meditation. When I was practicing, sitting on the floor, my family would step over me and go out to the balcony, take something there, and go back. We shared one room and it was my place for meditation, for consultations, for healing and everything related to it. Meditation is a process of self-discovery. What is meditation in short? Meditation is an ability to meditate on the meditator. It means you worship God that is within you, rather than the God that you don't know. Who is God that is within you? This is a religious aspect of meditation. I take them all into consideration. This is your super-conscious mind. This is your higher self. For religious people, it's easier to say that there is God. But God is somewhere out there. When you say He is within us, I'll go back to an example I've already shared. Where is God within us? In the heart. Heart is a broad concept. There's our physical heart, and there's our spiritual heart. Nobody knows where the spiritual heart is, but the physical heart is easy to locate. People may know that it's on the left side of the chest. So it turns out that there is no God in the liver or in the kidneys. So where is He? This is an illusory perception of the Creator or the Higher Self. It's erroneous. I think that the hundredth monkey would figure it out sooner. Just kidding. But here is what I want to say. When you meditate on your consciousness, when you try to explore what you really are, when you meditate on the meditator, feeling that you are a prior consciousness, this is what is most important. 
And then you have a flash of understanding and everything becomes clear. So before you learn to devote part of your time to yourself, you should develop a strong feeling of aspiration and realize what you do it for. Here, the aspects of time and death can also be very helpful. Death and time are similar, they denote nearly the same reality. When you realize you're running out of time, you think, what's next? Sai Baba says that, where have you come from, who are you now, and where will you go, are the three questions to be answered. If you fail to answer them, you'll have to reincarnate. Which is also questionable, by the way. Because a random idea to which your consciousness clings at the moment of transmigration will determine what your next life will be. Imagine that at this moment you think about the hundredth monkey effect. I always make jokes about it, but actually this is very serious. Our last thought determines our future life. There was a Rishi who thought when passing away, when changing dimension, Death is a change of dimension, he was transmigrating. He had a deer that was with him from a very young age, and when dying he thought, how will it live without me? And he reincarnated in a body of a deer. You can find it in the Vedas. This is why meditators should learn to think of themselves as supreme beings. I mean, their higher selves. And when the moment comes, you won't focus on having a body with its variances, with a bunch of outlaws that exist in your mind and steal your time and power, but you'll focus on who you are. Thus, the habit of reflecting on the super-consciousness that you are is a saving grace. Moreover, this is what meditation is about. And if it happens that you have to suddenly transmigrate very fast, you have a good habit of thinking about yourself, not about your personality, but your essence. Then you are saved. This is the key. Few people talk about it. Many teachers teach but don't talk about these things. But they are very important. Traditionally, meditation involves sitting with your back straight. Yes, this is important. This is important for your mind to quiet down. However, if you focus all of your attention on the meditator, it doesn't matter whether the mind is quiet or not. The mind must be quiet, it must stay on a leash, it must do what you need, because it is your tool. And if it grabs all your attention and drives it into the space, you lose concentration, and subsequently you lose your strength. In this case, it is hard even to focus on yourself. For instance, I'm sitting here right now telling you all these things. Where is my assemblage point? Where is your assemblage point right now? You need to look into this. But it's not too difficult. Once Sai Baba was asked, why can't I succeed in meditation? People may try to meditate for years, for decades. They imitate meditation, but they don't truly meditate. Baba interrupted and said, it's easy. How? What about samadhi? Samadhi is even easier. It's because we don't know where to head and how to approach it. So meditate on the meditator. You had a question. I have many, I'll filter them out. Yes, maybe I'm talking too much. 
No, no, no. I'm looking for the best questions. You've said that there is plenty of information. Now we know that time runs very fast. We may perceive it differently in the context of the changes going on in the material world. I think nearly everyone fears that something might happen to their family or themselves, or worry about the future, depending on how much time they spend within. What's the way to sort all this information out? There's so much of it. And what about time? Let's find out what motivates us to sort information out. You have touched on a very serious topic, that of fear. Fear is a very good tool for those who understand how to use it. And this is a very powerful tool of destruction for those who don't understand how to use it. Let's find out to which category we belong. Do we understand or don't we? Swimming. There are countless types of fear. Psychologists say that any fear is derived from the fear of death. The totals of all types of fear equals the fear of death. I do not quite agree with this statement, but okay, let it be. This is a general belief. I can only add that there is also the fear of attachment. Some people are attached not even to this life. There are people who are attached to afterlife, that's true. And for them, the fear of death functions differently. So psychology is not the source of ultimate truth. There's much behind it. Psychologists also have fears, to be honest. So it's important to understand what we are afraid of. Of death? Okay, let it be. But it's not death itself that we fear. If tomorrow you clearly understand that death is a great liberation, then who will be afraid of it? It's our mind that fears, because it loses its power and control. This is an aspect of attachment. There are images. The mind lives through these images. Please pay attention to what I'm saying now. When you try to meditate, who is really trying to do it? Why are you trying to meditate? What is the purpose of your meditation? To live a long life if you are afraid of death. To be healthy if you are afraid of getting sick and dying. To become successful in life. You fear that if you don't, you'll lose money, get sick and die. You see how it works? Your connectedness with your Higher Self that is inherent in everyone. What is the Higher Self in terms of expression? It's a field of infinite possibilities. It's a quantum field of infinite possibilities. This is what your Higher Self is. But your Higher Self doesn't need anything. That's why it does nothing from the perspective of I want, I want this, me, mine. But if you want, it will happen. Once you are aware of being the Higher Self, self-sufficient throughout eternity and never dying, once you are able to connect with it, fear, this great tool, will be taken from you. Because you don't need it anymore. You swap one tool for another. From a layman's perspective, the Higher Self is the Absolute. It seems to us that there's a great distance between us and the Absolute. How is it possible? 
Focus completely on yourself. You should realize that you are the higher self. That's why many teachers who attained liberation say, there is only one mantra for salvation. All mantras that we have today work fine. But the major salvation mantra is, I am God. Try to communicate it to the space. While walking along the street, I am God. This is the most powerful mantra. And if you keep focusing on this aspect, I am God, what does it mean, I am God? The higher self, consciousness, superconscious mind, you'll get rid of all your fears. Okay, if it's so far from us as it seems, although it's here and now, but let it be. Our mind is used to doing something in the outer world. You might wonder, if I move to my higher self now, how do I live then? All I have, where will it go? This is a matter of duality. This question is asked by the mind that is seeking to distract you from your higher self. He doesn't tell you that it is possible to live within your higher self and possess so much more. It says you either go there or stay here. We must do something here. We have children, we have a family, we need, we need, we should. But nobody says whether we really should. On the other hand, nobody says that you don't need what you've already achieved, although you can do it. In this state you have all the qualities, but you don't need anything. You don't need, but keep playing this game of needs. Let's have a cup of tea. Okay, let's have tea. There is no need in tea for me, but let's have it. Let's have a lecture. Okay, let's have a lecture. Or let's do something else, but I don't need it, because everything exists here and now. However, we should do something. In the long run, a way out has been found, you know. To sustain this world, there must be two energies. Because where there is no duality, everything disappears. So it's important that we do something. Good, we do something. We walk back and forth at the patriarch ponds, making the world move, walking around Moscow. The question is, why are we doing this? Well, to walk, we need to walk. We need to move the body. It's our tool. The greatest tool. We walk back and forth. Because we must walk, we must exercise, we must eat. We must eat up the miles. I'm kidding, of course. We must walk, that's right. We must respect this body, because this is also an aspect of time. But we should use it as a genuine tool, not simply as a tool for making money or a tool for solving social issues. It is the greatest tool that enables us to explore the infinite. And we use it only for one purpose. Yes. You have touched on one of the most topical problems that people keep discussing. This is the balance between materiality and spirituality. For this, I have a husband, because when I dive in the spiritual dimension, he arranges everything. I'm kidding, of course. It seems to me our epoch is very special, and even the process of search for spirituality differs from that 50 to 60 years ago. How, living in the society, here, I also have another question concerning ego. How can one who recites the I am God mantra avoid feeding their ego and keep track of it all? 
This is what's interesting for me personally. And how can we balance materiality and spirituality? For each of us, the timeline of the self-discovery journey runs very individually. And it may not be easy to live in the spiritual dimension. In theory, we can understand that there is no gap between materiality and spirituality. Contemporary scientists have made it clear that even an atom is 99.99% empty space. What is its particle then? There are no particles. If we view an atom as a particle, in its essence, it's nothing but electrons spinning fast around the nucleus, thus forming a field. We perceive it as density. It has never been density, but this is how we perceive it. We perceive it. This is our perception. An individual who meditates begins to realize that their life follows their spiritual state. And here the question arises of how to learn to manage it. Many psychologists say that our lives are shaped by the activity of our subconscious mind. There appear different doctrines like cleansing the subconscious, work with the subconscious, affirmations, etc. But why not do the following? Why not focus your full attention on the superconscious mind that immediately takes control over the subconscious mind and consciousness? There is the ordinary mind, the subconscious mind, and the superconscious mind. The superconscious mind is the creator. This is your higher self. This is the I am God mantra. When you concentrate on your superconscious mind, you don't even need to utter it. This is also to answer your second question. It is I am God because you are focused on the superconscious that is comprehensive. There is no distance between people, and you begin to feel the unity of this world more and more intensely. But in today's world, people wonder how do I earn money if I want to meditate? It's the problem of the mind. You have a husband, he earns, you meditate. I also make some good money. Yes, but what about those who have no partner? Imagine that they are meditating while being hungry. Okay, during meditation, a true meditation, they may not feel so hungry. But sooner or later, they'll get out of the meditative state. They have no spouse who could have cooked for them, so they'll need more time and so on. Here, of course, interaction and assistance are important. In Brahmin families, for example, the Brahmin's wife always cooks. When the Brahmin is taking a meal, she goes out. When he is having a rest, she also goes away and meditates. You see, they help each other. But it's not even this that I wanted to say. I'm talking about the problem of the mind that is unsuccessfully looking for a means to meditate while making money or make money while meditating. Actually, cash inflow is also energy. It's a resource. We can say that it's the body of the universe. I won't even mention that it's God. Let's consider it the body of the universe. We'll apply a more scientific approach to all this. After all, we live in society. Therefore, money is a resource. It comes easily and effortlessly, but people don't take it because they believe it must require effort. Children are taught that to have a lot of money, they must work hard. Yet they may have a completely different karmic task. However, they embrace this concept that money doesn't come easily. Is it a program? Yes, right. The whole world is programming us. Look around. Symbols are at the core of everything, absolutely. When walking along the street, you are influenced by myriads of symbols. 
And people echo these symbols. For example, you see a very expensive car driving past, and there's a very expensive looking person inside of it, who is absolutely unaware of this. An ordinary person, I'm looking into psychology a little bit, immediately feels a distance between themselves and that car or that person. They experience an inferiority complex which is enforced on them. Meanwhile, they forget their divine nature. Meditators look at things absolutely dispassionately. They perceive everything equally. They may be told, this is a very expensive car. They answer, yes, I guess this must be an expensive car, but here is another car. These are both cars. It's all about comfort. Yes, we do get used to it quickly. And yet it is this comfort that distances us from the essence of real life and from the notion of artificial life, where we fall asleep. And as we practice Kriya, we train ourselves to perceive everything equally. This equality enables us to connect the two poles, spirituality and materiality. I'll cover it in more detail now. When an individual is calm about discomfort, they don't crave comfort. If one is calm about whatever is happening to them, they can learn to focus on what's going on with them. In situations in which they need to meditate but they don't feel good, say have a headache or have to work, won't trouble them so often. They can also cause a headache. Say they want to meditate but have to do a job at the construction site. You see? We align our lives and perceive everything through the prism of unity, the principle of unity. There is a presence in everything. The most straightforward way to explain how to do this is karma yoga. It's about practicing presence in whatever you are doing and dedicating your every action to God. At this moment, the universe begins to nourish you. See, your sneeze confirmed the truth. It begins to nourish you. Nourishing is an aspect of educating. It begins to educate you. You feel an influx of vitality. Yes, for your mind it's way more pleasurable to remain idle while you are meditating. But even in a meditative state, you don't meditate. Have you ever noticed how many thoughts you think when meditating? You sit there trying to make it happen. For some people, intellectual work seems to be very much harder than loading and unloading trucks. So it's very important to understand that all distinctions are here in the head. When you leave this aspect unattended, all images, even correct images, prevent you from entering the meditative state. I am meditating. I'm feeling very good. I'm happy. Who is I? It's your mind that decides. It thinks that it's meditating for you. You remain uninvolved. You always remain one to whom it never denotes attention or time. So your mind tries to meditate on itself, and this is one great deception. This is why meditation is unsuccessful. This is why I show you methods for doing this. Have I answered the two questions, or shall I go on? Yes, you mentioned karma yoga, which is about dedicating your every action to God. Is it mentally possible when I work? How is it technically done? In a state of joy. Just a state of joy, no mind activity? Yes, I'm currently digging the ground as God Himself wants to dig it through me. I dedicate it all to Him. At that moment, I become God's tool. It doesn't matter if I have to dig all over the Altai Mountains, I'll do it if I have to. 
There's a potential in everyone. Everyone has an individual way of self-realization. I'll explain why I'm asking this. I know already. Okay, go ahead. I have to play my role here. Everything is falling apart. People I see here in the ashram sometimes say that what they've been doing doesn't fit in with their life anymore. They need something different. The problem is they think it's them who need it. They forget that it's not them, it's their mind. When our mind has cognized one thing, it casts it away and goes after something else. I observed a monkey sitting on a branch. They gave it two bananas. It took one, threw it away, took the other. Then it ran after the first banana. When it was given a third banana, it didn't know what to do. It threw a banana away and so on. This illustrates our constant attempts to get something better. And the better is the enemy of the good. It's the problem of the mind. That's why everything is falling apart. For you to see the unsteadiness of everything is a minimum. And second, it must go away. This is why people have depressive states that they struggle with. They visit doctors that would diagnose depression or depressive syndrome in them and so on. But it's a deception, an illusion. This disease doesn't exist. No one is ever in a depressive state. But there are people who put themselves into a box, so to speak. This is a false realm of the mind wishing to get something that it doesn't have, and because of this, it suffers. A desire that gives rise to more and more new desires leads people to suffering. When it doesn't have it, it drives itself even deeper into this state. At this point, specific hormones are released and so on. Imagine that at this moment it gets what it's been craving. It accepts it, immediately spits it out, excuse me, and sets out to look for something else. That's the nature of the mind. It's that monkey jumping from one branch to another. As long as people follow their mind in handling their life, they will suffer. As I have already said, there are those outlaws who steal our energy. The most important thing to understand here is that our mind is not the leader. We need to find peace and quiet, a state in which we would feel at least satisfied and then joyful. If we are not satisfied with whatever we have, our mind transmits an idea of being powerless, of being depleted. People feel depressed and find it nearly impossible to get up off the couch. Yet, if at this moment the mind comes up with something exciting, something that it has a craving for, an individual will immediately jump up and take off chasing the new idea. Where does the power come from? It's the problem of the mind. This is why it's very important to understand that if you have a body, all of us have bodies. This body is concentrated energy of the universe. Every cell contains enormous power, but we fail to make good use of our cellular consciousness. We don't draw on this power. In his time, Yogananda showed Kriya energization techniques that facilitate formation of new neural connections. When we clench a fist, the muscle tension conveys to us that we have power there right now. Because the muscles are tensed, this tension is a sign of power. We have a body, so we have power. And when we focus our full attention on a lofty goal that is present here, we are able to manage this process. In the end, the goal will disappear as well. Skipping ahead, to attain liberation one has to give up their goals. 
Because a goal is also a concept. If everything is falling apart, if an individual feels weak, it means they don't accept power. To possess a body means to possess compressed energy. This body is a manifestation of the divine energy or power that is compressed. Those who say, I'm getting weaker, I don't feel like doing it, are run by their mind like a dog on a leash. And thus they expel a tremendous amount of energy into space just because their mind doesn't like it. In Buddhism this is called darkening mind. This is when you have to decide who's in charge, who's the master of the house. If you're in charge, you just use your mind as a tool. That's what you are to work with. How? We share this knowledge when we teach meditation. Some might argue, meditation also implies the usage of the mind. Yes. But when you are already meditating, the mind must be silent. It must be silent, or it must sing its song somewhere out there. All your attention must be focused on the process of research of what is most important. What's its essence? What's its nature? Your consciousness is very subtle. You always look around, you are looking at me now. There are moments when you forget about your body and are just looking. Have you ever had a dream or your body? You were walking, doing something, even flying. Have you ever felt that? The joy of flying, your body floating in the astral world. You move around. Sometimes you even feel pain because you hurt yourself or something else happened. This is an astral dream. Have you ever had a dream where you had no body at all? where you only had eyes and were just moving and looking around. This is a mental dream. It happens on the mental plane. It feels like you are within a dream, but actually you are in the mental plane. This kind of dream brings more awareness, by the way. You see a dream while being aware that you are now asleep and dreaming. You are kind of aware of yourself. Have you ever felt that? What does it mean? It means that you are consciousness. It means that you have no body and still you exist. But when you know you have a body, why do you exist as a body rather than consciousness? Because you also have mind. You identify with indriyas, channels and senses. This is where meditation takes effect as you unfold your concentration and switch off your five senses. That's what yoga of the high path is for. Nothing else remains to be done. You should know that if you are hearing this now, you are ready for it. I always feel what and when, I should say. I could have answered this question absolutely differently. There is an enormous number of ways to respond to the same question. But you are ready for this, plus there's no need to waste time. I can't help but ask you about how much energy we expend and what for. We are watching. All passions that you pursue in your life are vampires that leech upon your power. Yes, absolutely all of them, including your children and your spouse. But it shouldn't trigger a negative attitude in you. This is just an aspect that would later transform into the principle of unity. Yes, now you have to lose energy. Sometimes I'm asked, aren't you afraid of being deprived of energy? 
And I reply, there are two levels of understanding. Maybe this person needs more energy now than I do, so I'm not afraid to share it with them. On the second, higher level, aren't you afraid of being deprived of energy? No, I'm not afraid, because I am this energy. When you fill a bathtub and disturb the water, with the sudden movement of the hand, you'll see water moving aside and immediately back again. Now try to do this trick with the air. Air is not energy. Air is the product of energy. Everything is prana. So who can take what and from whom? One can deprive themselves of energy when they get angry and then feel bad about it or crave something. I am more concerned about these situations. This is number one. We can immediately stop it when we realize that there is also number two, when we are aware that everything is energy. That if you feel weak, it's not because there's no energy for you. Energy is always there for you. The fact is that you don't want to take or accept it. It's not about taking, but rather accepting. To learn to accept it, we use body energization methods, hatha yoga, pranayama yoga, and other techniques for the development of nerve endings that can enable high conductivity, and that individual is constantly aware of this energy. With the principle of unity, no one can put a hex on others, because everything is the single presence of the One. But in the world of duality, people are capable of hurting others. This is also very important. Yes, yes, I practice a lot. Here is my personal question. Sometimes I become angry or irritated. Good that Murad is not here now. Just kidding. I'm ready to answer it right now. Later, I... Yes, you have much energy, but it is tinged with negativity. Paint this energy with positivity and keep it. Anger is energy. Right in the moment while being aware of it, you can do it even later. But over time, you'll learn to do it immediately, right away. Say you immediately realize that you have much energy, that you can tear him apart, that you are Kali ready to act. Who can calm Kali down? Conscious Shiva, he says, Gwari, quiet. And she calms down immediately. Breathing slows down. That's how it looks in the movies. But what are we actually talking about? Imagine releasing a huge amount of anger energy into space. Energy is neutral. But you have painted it with negativity because you failed to accept the situation. Your expectation system failed. It's a psychological issue. So you say, quiet, stop, I'm reclaiming this energy, and I forget the mere idea of what triggered my anger. That's all you need. Take back what you have thrown away. Even if I don't take it out, this is closer to mastership. Is it possible to transform it? Once you learn to remain detached during practice, the more you meditate, the better you'll realize how pointless this form of existence is. You'll realize the great purpose of existence in the state of awareness. And you'll only smile when someone attempts to make you angry or provoke another negative reaction in you. Sometimes it happens. And with your loved ones, it's even harder, right? Strangers are not so annoying. You can just let it go. 
But it won't work with your loved ones. Why? Because you have an astral connection to them, of which you are more aware. Plus, you are fixed on an idea to prove to your relatives that you are actually more than you seem to be. Just tell it straight away, I don't care what others think of me. Moreover, say to yourself that no one will ever accept you. Calm yourself down with this and be happy. How's that? No one will ever accept me. Because that's what the mind does. It wants to make sure it's the coolest. But you remain a nobody. Even if the credit is all yours and there's a crown on your head, it's your personality that enjoys it, but your essence gets no attention. Because first, it doesn't need it, and second, no one actually remembers about it at this point. Most importantly, you have lost your identification with the on high, with your presence. For whatever reason, you are now identifying yourself with the personality and ego that enjoy having been crowned. I have different examples to share. Sometimes I'm asked, are you afraid to go on the stage? I have to go on the stage. I respond, why should I? Well, everyone, including the greatest musicians and professionals, have stage fright, because they cling to the result. These great musicians fear that someone might think something bad about them. If I have this problem, stage fright, it means I am fixed on the result, on my personality. I don't want you to think ill of me. I'm on the stage right now, too. But this fear doesn't trouble me. I don't care what you think of me. My job is to give you what I want. When on the stage singing mantras or bhajans or playing music, it's not for others that I do this. I do this for the Higher Self, for Paramatman, which is the One, where people are simply manifestations of the One, and I do it for Him. And I don't care about people's opinions. Yes, I respect people, of course, but not opinions. I respect Atman, but not personalities. Because all personalities are identical. You all ask the same questions. They may vary to some extent, but they all address the same aspect. Three. All the millions and billions of questions fall into three categories. I want to live a long and happy life in bliss, in joy and delight. A long, happy life in bliss and joy, to be aware of myself, to be aware, to enjoy. These are the three main aspects that every living being strives for. Yoga is meant to help you achieve these. Satchit Ananda. Truth, existence, consciousness, awareness, bliss.